welcome to the Content and Brand Manager podcast about the books that we're reading. Joining me today are social media specialist, Nick Vasiliev. Hello, Nick. Hey, Mark. Uh, we're also joined by fiction category manager, Ben Hunter. Hello, Ben. Good morning. And development and relationship manager, Scott Whitman. Hi, Scott. Good morning, Mark. Discuss a little bit of book news, then we'll delve into the books that everybody is reading and be sure to stick around. We'll go head to head in a book quiz battle that we like to call book fight. And Scott, we are expecting big things from you considering how well you did in the Booktopia trivia night the other night. Well, thanks for that. But I always find your quiz really embarrassing, but that's probably to the amusement of everybody listening or watching. So we'll see. <laughs> the quiz the quiz is embarrassing, Scott, but it's embarrassing more for me than anyone, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, we should tell everyone we, we had a, our first online staff social trivia night, which was... which despite uh, technological problems you might expect, worked really well. It was lots of fun. Yeah. It certainly was. All right, uh, jumping straight in. A uh, bit of book news that broke overnight is that the long-anticipated Barack Obama presidential memoir has been announced with a release date set for, I believe, 10 days after the US presidential election. So it's very soon. It's going to be on shelves in six weeks. Now, presidential memoirs feel like a bit of an inevitability at this point. And I know we've all certainly been waiting for this announcement to come ever since his presidency ended. Uh, thoughts, reflections, uh, are we excited about this book? I am because he's such a, an eloquent writer. I mean, he's written a couple of books before other memoirs and uh, it doesn't necessarily follow that when you're president, you uh, can write with beautiful lyrical prose. I'm sure the current president, if he ever writes his memoirs, it will not be. Um, but Barack Obama, you can count on that. So I've been looking forward to it. He's a very thoughtful uh, man interested in philosophy, not just politics. And I think it'll be a good read. And the most interesting thing for me to hear in the news overnight is that this is volume one. Yes. So he's taking a leaf out of Kevin Rudd's book, though I hope it's going to be a bit more scintillating than Kevin Rudd's two volumes, which probably could have been one. Uh, but Barack Obama's got uh, two volumes. Um, the second one, who knows when that will come. So this one's his childhood formative years and his first term in office. So that, that I thought was interesting. And for those who follow such things, you're right, it comes out the 17th of November. But of course, in Australia, that means 18th of November. So that will be its release date here. I'm looking forward to it. What I, about the rest of you? I, I, I'm looking forward to this one too. I, I, it's, not a, it's not a genre I read. Um, I do. But, I, uh, I love political memoirs. He's a, he's, a, he's a star. And as you say, he, he's a very good writer, which is a, a rare talent for the political elite. Um, and I think a lot of people, uh, particularly in America, will be reading this one as well, uh, not just because of his star power, uh, and his mark on history, but the fact that he'll be opening up about his time in office, uh, and of course, the, his vice president in those years will very potentially be the president in the coming year. So uh, it will be a it will be an insight into that man as well. Yes, that's a good point. And it's it's a brick of a book. It's going to be 784 pages, um, which is an awful lot of book. Uh, it's got a, a US price of $45. I think 
$65 in Australian market. But of course, if you pre-order from Booktopia, you'll get it for only $48.75. So get your pre-orders <laughs> in. I noticed there's already a, a dozen people that, you know, just in these few hours since it announced has already got more than a dozen orders there. So people jump right onto it. I think it's going to be one everyone's going to be talking about uh, in the Christmas season. Yeah, I think one of those orders is mine. So. Ah, there you go. Good <laughs> I, also, you. I, I also want to mention how interesting it is that it is coming out now right now and i don't and obviously we you know it is it is the time of political um it is the time of, of political elections and people being influenced and i think it is very very telling uh, that he's chosen to drop it now of all times but um, it won't influence the election in that it comes yes. out straight after unless things about it are leaked before which of course is a very real possibility mm, exactly. um yeah i was gonna actually say ben that's um the next, this could be a too political statement, but uh, the next big um, presidential memoir to come out will be by Donald Trump, and that probably will be categorized in fiction. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not, you're going to get in trouble, Mark. I am going to get in trouble. <laughs> oh, 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 I guess I'm we're not, not the ABC, so you're allowed to make commentary. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to comment on that, but I, I did say to Joel, our non fiction category manager, uh, last night when the book got announced, that I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to selling the manga edition. Uh, in my fiction list when that gets reproduced. <laughs> Excellent. All right, next bit of book news um, that happened this week is that the Booker Prize shortlist was announced with the, to me at least, shocking uh, exclusion of Hilary Mantel. What do we think on the uh, Booker Prize shortlist? She can't really complain. It is surprising, but she did win twice <laughs> before. So to not get a third time round, I mean, she, she really has got nothing to complain about. But that was a surprise. I was fascinated by the eclectic range, Mark, that um, even though they're mostly American authors, many of them come from different cultural background, and one of them is... Uh, is uh, from Zimbabwe. Um, you know, I remember it wasn't too many years ago that the Booker was Commonwealth books and they were all set in English villages or small American towns. And now, you know, you've got one set in India, Zimbabwe, Ethiopia, the slums of Glasgow, and, and a dystopian sort of world uh, post uh, climate change and the only one with a regular setting as you will is one set in the american midwest in contemporary times and all the others have these sort of international and other cultural uh, flavors and i wonder if that's just a sign of the times or if it means that the prize is becoming more you know political or or international and if that was a, a deliberate choice by the uh, judges or if hopefully they just went on the merits of the stories and the writing itself but it, it's very interesting that it's such a mix i think don't you yeah going I'm, off that point though sorry just to add that every single author though going, you mentioned it would being a traditionally commonwealth based uh, prize every single author bar one has american citizenship yes yeah well well it's only the last few years they've had american authors i think it, it was it was it always the commonwealth or was it just english language i can't remember but then it was it was so commonwealth Americans. it was commonwealth, it was commonwealth. So. and, and yeah. there was a there was a big push back after they opened it up to the americas uh that um yeah they they, they assumed that there would be a big influx of of big ticket american writers and that would just ruin the prize um that's what the uh, sort of literary elite of London was saying, um, but that didn't eventuate. It, it actually took a, a number of years before an American one. Um, and yeah, as you say, Scott, this, this list is really interesting. It's, it's a fascinating, diverse range of authors. Um, I've heard good things about all of these books. Uh, I've, only, I've only read one of them <laughs> and, I, and I absolutely adored it. <laughs> which, which one did you read? That was Burnt Sugar. 
Um, I just chanced on it um, as a as a proof copy. That's the Indian uh, one, isn't it? Yeah, um, it it's a it's a gorgeous book. It's very little, um, and the writing is just superb. I read a page and I said, "This is a book for me," and I read the whole thing and I, I just loved it. Um, uh, yeah, it's a very very strong book, and and I think it's a a member of a very strong list. It has to be a very strong list if they all beat Hilary Mantel. <laughs> yeah. Well, it used to be the case when the list came out, there were all the big name authors that everyone had heard about and everyone knew. And yeah. it took me by surprise this year. I read the short list. I thought, I've never heard of one of these authors. Times have changed, which is good. It's great that there's an outlet for the authors who are up and coming and, and we don't know. And many of uh, a number of these are first time authors. So that, that's, that's great that it's not just the, uh, the big guys, as it were, but it's surprising and it's a big change interesting change do you, do you think then as an extension of it is this a real indication of where potentially the booker prize may be going in future because you're picking a more diverse range of authors you're also picking a more diverse uh, you know a lot more not a lot less of the established authors you're picking uh, rising stars do you think this is kind of the you know because there's always been talk about where the authors are being picked from do you reckon this is a sign of things to come no, <laughs> uh, my, my, opinion of, uh, my opinion of the booker is every year you have hundreds of different books that are submitted to this prize and every year you have different judges and um, people uh, shake their fists and, and uh, you know, the, yeah, people like to punt on the booker prize and people like to barrack for their favourite novelists and their favourite books but uh, it's, it's a subjective thing of the, the, that a, a group of people come together every year and decide... Uh, their opinion on, on what are the, the best books of the year. And, and uh, this year is no exception. And there will be a different panel of judges next year. And, and for those who are wondering why do they change judges every year, having judged once uh, the New South Wales Premier's Prize, you wouldn't want to do it multiple years if you could avoid <laughs> yeah. it. They, it's such a dedicated job. They actually read hundreds of books. You know, it's like full time for a year you're reading uh, to be able to come up with a long list and then the short list. It's a really labour intensive uh, job that I really admire the judges for doing. It's a hell of a commitment. And, and not all of them are ones you really want to read, the ones, you know, you're pushed to the side quickly uh, they're not all fantastic works but by the time you get to the short list you can be pretty confident they're, they're worth picking up and all available in booktopia of course yes, oh, scott you're the perfect salesman <laughs> <laughs> well i used to have my own bookshop so you know I'm, I'm used to pushing that angle just want to remind people you can buy them from us <laughs> all right before we jump into what we're reading um we are sponsored this week uh by a new book dark side of the harbor by jennifer Batchier. Uh, it's the swinging 60s, post-war Australia is booming and the excitement of Sydney lures two young women, Rose and Margot, easy for, eager for adventure in these rapidly changing times. They meet through work and country girl Rose is in awe of glamorous worldly Margot who makes it clear her ambitions stretch far beyond the cosmetic sales counter of David Jones, Sydney's iconic department store. At a coffee bar in Cosmopolitan King's Cross, they encounter two debonair Europeans, Stefan and Joseph former Polish army officers seeking to rebuild their lives. Friendship grows between the foursome and the women's eyes are open to a world of experience and ideas very different from the Australia they grew up in. From Sydney's deceptive glitter to the grit of Warsaw under siege, Dark Side of the Harbour is a masterpiece of suspense, a story of courage, resilience and deadly secrets where only the strongest bonds survive. And you can pick that up right now at booktopia.com.au and it is published through Booktopia Editions. 
Yeah, I think that's one of the most exciting things about it. I love a good Australian historical, middle of the road, easy escapist read. But the fact that we've published it ourselves, you know, it's something that's new this year, uh, Booktopia Editions. We were never a publisher before, so it's a whole new venture business within a business for Booktopia. And uh, fiction and non-fiction books coming out, it's exciting that we're now creating our own. And this is uh, one of them, a good, good Australian story. So, uh, yeah, it's very exciting. Nice to be sponsored. <laughs> All right, let's uh, jump into what we're reading at the moment. Um, why don't we start off with Nick? What, uh, what, what have you brought? Um, I've brought two books uh, along this week. I'm continuing to uh, read The Quiet American um, by Graham Greene, and I'm absolutely loving it. Um, it's incredibly compelling and fantastic. Um, as, as much as it's a very confronting and very uh, aggressive uh, story and is playing with a lot of fant oh, ideas it is something that is incredibly enjoyable and I highly recommend you guys uh, get into that one and read it. Um, I've also been kind of deciding to retread books uh, that I've actually read in the past um, and I read this book, uh, this series of books as, um, as when I was a lot younger and I absolutely loved them and I was in the mood for something weird and fun so I've returned to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh -huh. oh. um, all um, and just I absolutely loved reading all of the books when I was uh, when I was you know younger um, in university, and I finished it mostly harmless. And I know that that's the one that Douglas Adams he in the past he was he went I wasn't happy with that one, and then Eon Culper jumped in and finished with one more book to finish off uh, and another thing. And I actually haven't had the chance to read that yet. So I'm going back and reading them from front to back. Absolutely, completely insane. Um, and I absolutely adore it. Such a great book. There's, there's a reason it's got a cult following. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I, yeah. It's, uh, there's just something about Adams's writing that is just so bizarre and so fun and so full of mirth and enjoyment that is just, you can't, you can't deny that not only when he was writing it, he was having a lot of fun writing it. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Have, you back and to the, uh, have you ever listened to the radio play? Yes, yes. I've listened to the radio play. Um, I watched the 2005 movie. I'm a massive fan of this series. Um, and I've just loved, like, it, whenever I reread I re -read it, um, well, I, I just go, why don't I reread this all the time? Why don't I do that? Because it's just that much fun. You know, just hearing Marvin complain about having the brain the size of a planet and all of the other crazy politics and stuff associated around it, going to a planet called Cricket. It's just, where does he pull this stuff from? I don't know. And that is what's amazing about it. I actually read the Ian Colfer book um, when it came out a few years ago. Um, and I thought he did a decent job of kind of capturing... You know, he's, he's not Douglas Adams, obviously, but um, I think he did a decent job of kind of capturing his voice. Yeah. Having met him a few years ago, I, I think he would want me to tell you that it's pronounced Owen. It's spelt a funny way, but it's oh. Owen Colfer. It's the Irish spelling. Um, but I want to comment on the Graham Greene, Nick, because yes. um, I remember studying Brighton Rock at school. And, you know, Graham Greene wrote in the 50s and 60s. And I'm, I'm really pleased that you're reading that because I had thought that a lot of the younger generation of readers, of which you are one, of course, uh, ignored Graham Greene because he's a bit forgotten since he passed away, you know, 30 years ago. Um, on my shelf behind me, I've got about 10 of his books. But 
but um, you know, travels with my aunt, quiet American, Brighton Rock. You know, he he wrote about twenty books, and they're they're so well written and such good stories, and they're not big books. They're all available, I think, in the vintage classics, so they're easily mm. available, inexpensive. So for any young readers who've not discovered Graham Greene or not studied him at school like I did way back when. Um, you know, most of his books, there's very few duds. They're all really good stories and worth reading. So I'm glad you brought him up and that he's not forgotten. He's a great author. Yeah, yeah, he is. And, you know, it's, you know, it, this is the first time I've actually read one of his books and I definitely will be getting more because it's just the actual world that he, he paints is so wonderful. And also at times, of course, given this particular book, um, quite confronting because it is a very um, charged book with a lot of, uh, you know, no spoilers, but it is, yeah, it is, you know, set in a very, you know, turbulent time in human history. And it's absolutely, I absolutely am loving it, just how compelling it is. And yes, I highly recommend everyone does dive into it, because I certainly will be. And it's Graham yeah. Green with an E on the end for people who are looking yes, him up. exactly. <laughs> All right, thanks for your recommendations, Nick. Um, ben, what are you reading at the moment? I've been reading a stack of things since we last talked, Mark, but I'll talk about two. Uh, the first one is the new Elena Ferrante, um, The Lying Life of Adults. It's a, it's a long anticipated book. Um, uh, a, a lot of people have been waiting for this to come out, especially in English. Um, it came out in Italian and became a, a huge Italian bestseller um, before the pandemic, um, last Christmas. Uh, hundreds of thousands of copies just, just in its native language. Um, and, and now it's finally here in English. We've been waiting for a long time. Um, it's one of the best, she's just one of the best writers in translation today. Um, reading, reading her work is so accessible and universal, um, but so unique. It's, it's, it's like reading something from a hundred years ago. It's, um, it's not, it's not comparable to a lot of contemporary writing. It's very special. Um, it's very immediate. It's very violent. It's very close. Um, and this this story again, um, like a Neapolitan quartet, um, is is about uh, girlhood to womanhood, um, and it is about class struggle, um, and it is about um, uh, sexuality and and and. Uh, um, the shit women put up with. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's really beautifully done. It's it's coarse. Um, it's unapologetic, and it's it's perfect. Um, she's just the perfect author. Uh, the other the other novel I've, I've just finished, and I it's a it's a small book, but I just I I made it last because I I enjoyed it so much, and and that is uh, Richard Flanagan's new book uh, i'm gonna hold it up because it's so beautiful the living sea of waking dreams um just the title itself is a poem uh finding in tasmanian author uh winner of the booker prize um he, it's not out he, yet is it it's coming out next month this is it? one will be out for october yep. yeah it's an october title um he he never writes two books the same um so if you if you read one of his books, maybe when you're in school, or if you read the one that won the booker, um, you, you're never going to read the same book again. Uh, he he has a has a hard line into human sadness and human suffering. This guy, um, this book is weird. Um, 
the kind of the setup is uh, a, a, a hardworking architect um, returns to Tasmania to see her dying mother and her limbs start disappearing. <laughs> like the daughter's limbs start disappearing as the mother is dying. And then it gets weirder from there. Um, it's about... I hate it when um, that happens. <laughs> it's, it's, it's about the end of the world and it's about grief. It's awesome. It's perfect. I love it. I wait. I wait. He's such yeah. a great thinker, isn't he? He's a real philosopher, Richard Flanagan, and his books are all just masterpieces, I think. Mm. The, the, the play with language, the play with culture, um, you know, there's a, there's a ferocious wit at play, but also just a, a tenderness that's um, unparalleled. Ben, could you, because um, uh, as I understand it, the book is actually just a beautiful object in and of itself. Would you mind showing um, what happens when you take the dust jacket off? Show and tell. Show and tell, yeah. For, <laughs> for those go. of us who are listening, you'll have to go to YouTube oh. now to see this. Gorgeous. It, oh, um, yeah, sorry. Even the you better notes. describe it for those who are just listening, Ben. The beautiful leaves and the under yeah, the jacket. Yeah, so you've got, you've got this gloss black jacket with a woman uh, semi-submerged. And if you look at the, even just the, the, the quote on the back page, it all, is also reflected in the water, which I just thought is a stunning touch. You've got this starry night sky. And on the inside, you've got this brilliant green, almost lime green feathers on this. Uh, it's almost like a cloth-bound colour. It's just bloody beautiful. Uh, underneath the dust jacket. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Um, just a, it's a stunting object. It'll make a wonderful present. You can order from booktopia.com.au. You won't get that on the ebook. You need to get the hard copy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a turning pages guy. Forget about this electronic stuff. <laughs> I'm old fashioned. And that's, that's one of the reasons why you get those beautiful objects. <laughs> yeah. I've read a stack of books recently, but they're the two standouts. Amazing. Thank you so much, Ben. Um, Scott, what have you been reading? Well, as you all know by now, I have a penchant for historical fiction and uh, that's continuing this month. Um, I just read one, which is again, middle of the road, not, not high literature, but really engaging novel called Paris Never Leaves You. And the author is Ellen Feldman. Uh, this is a World War II uh, Holocaust story uh, about uh, set in Paris during the occupation, the Nazi occupation. And it's about Charlotte, who is a bookseller. That's what attracted me to the story. She has a bookshop in Paris that she's trying to run through the hardships of occupation. And she's uh, widowed before the book starts Starts by her uh, husband, who was killed in the, in the early days of the war. And she's trying to raise her toddler daughter, Viv, on her own with all the deprivations and difficulties of uh, living under occupation. It's hard to get food. Uh, it's hard to get medicine. It's hard to be a mother raising a little child when there's such difficulty. Um, but she befriends, well, she doesn't befriend. She she objects to him coming in. There's a, a German soldier who loves books who keeps coming to browse in the shop and she kind of ignores him for a while. Um, but he starts to help her by bringing food for the baby because he's got access to uh, things that she doesn't. And she kind of reluctantly uh, comes to appreciate him, uh, even though he's an occupier. But he's, he's not... <laughs> What do I say? He's not a sort of a nasty Nazi. He's not. He's not. Uh, he's trying his best to do his best as an occupier and not uh, not do the worst as many of his fellow a sheep soldiers in wool do. Clothing. 
Yes, exactly. Um, but but without spoiling the story, what I found interesting, because I've read a lot of Holocaust memoirs, being Jewish, I read those stuff all the time. I'm always interested in it. But uh, there's a lot about... Um, occupation and what it was like for the non-Jews uh, under occupation. There's lots of Holocaust stories about, you know, the Jewish angle, um, and that, that was interesting. But it also introduced uh, a subject that I've not read about, and that was the number of German soldiers who served in the, in the Wehrmacht particularly, who were actually Jewish by Nazi definition. They had one Jewish parent, or they were Jewish, and they were hiding in plain sight. They figured the best place them to hide was to pretend they weren't Jewish and to, you know, not be found out and to serve in the army. And apparently there were hundreds of German Jews who, they might have been secular, but as, as I said, by Nazi definition, they were Jewish, who actually survived the war by serving in the German forces. And, and how that affected them in the long term and their self-identity issues, the dichotomy and the guilt they felt if their, their um, family was sent off to concentration camp and they survived because they served with the Nazis. What would that do to you psychologically? So that was a quite a different angle that I've not read in a book uh, set in this period before that I thought made it stand out and was worth reading just for that. But there's a romance in it too. There's, um, you know, it's quite gripping. Uh, I, I should mention also that it's a dual setting because uh, Charlotte and her daughter Viv end up going to uh, New York after the war, surviving and going there, and she becomes a successful publisher working at a publishing house in New York. So it's half set in the 1950s while she's trying to deal with the aftermath of what she'd experienced and her daughter asking questions about their mysterious past that she doesn't want to revisit and answer, and then flashing back to 1940s under occupation Paris. So 50s New York, 40s Paris really good story, Paris Never Leaves You. And um, the other one, which I'm reading now, um, I know I read all these books that should be deemed women's books, but I don't believe in, uh, in, in putting books in categories like that. I really enjoy a good woman's story. And The Woman Before Wallace is one of those that's just come out by Bryn, B-R-Y-N, Turnbull. And The Woman Before Wallace is, uh, refers to Wallace, Duchess of Windsor. And it's uh, about Thelma Furness, who was the mistress of the later Duke of Windsor, King Edward VIII, who abdicated uh, before he was started dating uh, Wallace Simpson. And Thelma Furness had a fascinating story herself in that she was the daughter of a prominent and well-to-do uh, diplomat. Uh, and uh, she married uh, Marmaduke Furness, became uh, Lady Furness. He was a lord. And it was through, she was American, but she met this Duke and uh, married him. And through his friendship with uh, uh, the Duke of Windsor, or as he was then the Prince of Wales, uh, Edward, um, she got into that milieu and became friendly with him herself, had a long affair with her and was very friendly with Wallace Simpson. And she s introduced Wallace to Edward. And that's how Wallace got into the royal circle. And her identical twin sister, um, I'm talking about Thelma Furness's, not Wallace's. She didn't have an identical twin sister. Thelma Furness's twin was Gloria Vanderbilt, uh, not the gene designer, Gloria Vanderbilt Jr. This was Gloria Vanderbilt Sr. Her mother was her twin sister. And there was that famous case, court case, for Gloria Vanderbilt's custody. Uh, she had a, inherited a fortune and uh, there was a big custody case and Thelma Furness went off to New York to support her sister. They were very close, the twin sisters. And when she went, I'm about to finish, don't worry, Mark. Uh, when she went off to New York, uh, she said to her friend Wallace, will you keep an eye on David, as they called him, uh, the, the Prince of Wales, uh, while I'm gone? 
Well, Wallace did keep an eye on him. In fact, she ended up, we know what ended up happening with her. So this book, I say, is really a combination of The Crown and uh, Dallas and The Kardashians sort of all rolled into one. If you like that sort of scandal and astonishing truth, stranger than fiction in the upper echelons of society, like you watch The Kardashians today, uh, but this was the 1920s and 30s, you'll lap this up. It is fictionalized. Uh, but it's very well based in research and history about the twins, Thelma Furness and Gloria Vanderbilt, about Wallace, about uh, the Prince of Wales. So if you like that history, that sort of scandal, you'll love it. Uh, woman, the woman before Wallace. So they're the two I've been reading. I mean, with a pitch like that, Scott, you can't not want to read that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I, I like a bit of historical scandal in, in society. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, thank you so much for sharing your, your book picks. Um, we're about to jump into a uh, book quiz. Yeah. But before we do, we have another sponsor. <clears throat> so this is a wonderful uh, children's book that um, is published through Booktopia Editions called My Dad, the Secret Superhero. So one little girl believes she has uncovered her dad's biggest secret. He isn't just a farmer. He is a courageous superhero protecting Australia from the fire monsters. The story follows the adventures of a volunteer firefighter the hero highlighting the heroic acts performed by our firefighters during bushfire season. My Dad, the Secret Superhero, aims to help children understand the sacrifice and effort many families are faced with during the difficult times associated with a harsh Australian summer. And the authors, uh, Carly and Seb Moon, um, have based this on their own real-life experiences, uh, seeing the way that their family neighbours and community reacted to um, fires around their farm in Western Australia. And also this book began as a crowdfunding project. They raised $20,000 through Puzzle, and um, they donated all the profits to the Foundation for National Parks and Wildlife to assist with bushfire rehabilitation. Uh, it's a really wonderful, wonderful book. I didn't know it was being sponsor sponsoring us today. I just happened to have a copy next to me because I got it to read to the kids <laughs> in my family. It's such a lovely picture book about the firefighters. So if you've got any little kids in the family, it's really beautiful. People should get it. It's great. All right. Trivia time. Moving on to book fight now. The way that uh, the way that, that we do this is that everybody chooses a word that they're going to use to buzz in to claim the question. Nick, what are you going to buzz in with? Um, staying in line with, with hitchhikers, my buzzer will be forty-two. Oh, uh, Ben, what are you going to do? Uh, I'll, I'll go on Douglas Adams as well. I'll, I'll say, don't panic. <laughs> Excellent. Scott. <laughs> oh, well, given the book I just pitched, I guess I'll say Wallace. <laughs> Great. All right. Are we ready? Question one. Name all the books on the Booker Prize shortlist. Oh, God. Oh, I don't think any of us can do <laughs> that. <laughs> Not without having a list in front of us. Name as many as you can. Okay, don't uh, ben? No, I was just saying don't panic, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Uh, um, the Shadow War. This Mournable Body. Burnt Sugar. Shuggy Bane. Uh, I've got two more. Uh, real life. Um, I've better forgotten. The, my... the new wilderness. Did you say that? Uh, yeah. Um, Diane. Right. No, I don't think you did. I don't think you said. I'm going to give. I'm going to give four to Ben and one to Scott for that. Yes. <laughs> the points. Okay. Question two. Which novel opens with the line, "Feld"? Dazed, silent, he has fallen, knocked full length on the cobbles of the yard. 
Oh, clearly what well, I don't haven't panic, said. Don't panic. Um, yeah. uh, is it Hilary Mantel? Yep. The new one, which is called <laughs> The Mirror and the Light. <laughs> not, not quite, not quite the new oh, one. Oh wait, no, the first one. Uh, Wallace. Wolfhole. I'll go with you. I'll, I'll, I'll let you have that, Ben. <laughs> well done. I, I took a lot of uh, hints. <laughs> Liberal amount of hints. Okay, this one's going to be a challenging one, I reckon. Don't panic. Bar Barack Obama announced his presidential <laughs> memoir this week. What are the names of George W. Bush's memoir and Bill Clinton's presidential memoir? Oh, wow. Oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, okay. <laughs> Oh, oh golly, no. Scott! You said this was your genre. I, yeah, know, I know George. I, I, I've read them. I, uh, Wallace. I think Bill Clinton's was was it called A Certain Life? You're very close, but a, not quite. A something life. We've, we've covered George W. Bush before in this. It was there was a joke about it. The fact yeah. that it was a, it was a um, it was something to do with because um, I edited it. Hang um. Oh, okay, okay, 42. The, all the cocaine in Texas. <laughs> all right, Nick, what? what 42, here? it was I, a stupid name. It's Decision Points. That was the name that George W. Bush used as the name of his memoir. I, we I think I was him. trying to add an adjective when there wasn't one. I think it's just my life. Bill Clinton. Very good. Yep. It's Decision Points by George W. Bush and My Life by Bill Clinton. All right, very good. Okay, next question. This week, Orange Entertainment acquired the screen rights to which 2020 memoir of troubled youth from a News Corps journalist? Uh, don't panic. Ben. 14. Yep, very good. 14 by Shannon Malay. Which I think I discussed on this very podcast a few months ago. Great book. Great book, yeah. Available from booktopia.com.au. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Good Australian memoir. All right. A few points up for grabs in this next one. What is the title of the new Jane Harper book? And a bonus point for each if you can name all of her other books. 42. Oh, oh. Uh, Nick. Okay, so The Survivors is the name of the new book. The Very Dry good. is the name of the first one. Force of Nature is the name of the second, or second one, I think. Um, and... Oh, what's the, there's one more, there's one more. Okay, I, was edit, I was literally editing it, editing the actual image, video imagery of it this morning. So it's in front of, um, okay. Um, I think it's, it'll, it'll come to me, it'll come to me, it'll come to me. It's the desert one. Ah, oh, Lost Man, The Lost Man, that's right. Yeah, I'm sorry, I just, my, my screen just froze. So I missed, did you, did you get all three? He got all yes. four. I got all four. Excellent, well, well done, Nick. No, only because it was only because I was editing. It was only because I was editing the uh, the new all the assets for uh, for the survivors today. And Ben, you said you've just read the new one and it's it's very good. So there's another recommendation from us, right? The survivors. Of course, it's good. It's Jane Harper. She's, there you go. She's the best working. We've got to get in another book recommendation, Mark. <laughs> and Scott is on two points. Uh, Scott can have a, a point for sale. All right. So two points up for grabs in this next question. I'm looking for the title and the year of publication for Stephen King's first book. Um, uh, 42, the first book was Carrie, wasn't it? It was Carrie. Um, and, oh, this is the year of publication. God, blimey. Um, I actually have no idea. Was it, was it in the, the 70s? Um, uh, like 1973. Uh, no. Uh, 
<laughs> it was the seventies, but I don't think it was that early. Um, soon after, I would say seventy-four. Scott, you are correct. It was nineteen seventy-four. Oh. <laughs> Talk about a stab in the dark. That was so close. Dang. <laughs> okay, and now this is the last question, and I swear, like I didn't realize that everybody was going to be talking about this book today, but. What is the name of the depressed robot on the Heart of Gold spaceship in the oh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? I mean, no, oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who, got, not, who got in first? I don't know. I think you have it, Nick. Uh, I believe that robot was called Marvin. Very good. Oh, and I all know I'm feeling very depressed. Okay, so at the end of uh, Book Fight, Scott is on three points. Ben is on six points. Nick taking the game with seven points. Oh, Nick. Thank you. Wow. I've never won this well before. Just as well you edited those uh, Jane Harper books. Yeah, I know. That's, <laughs> That's <for> fortunate. <laughs> yeah, see, and this is what happens when you don't annoy the host. Because, like, when you annoy the host, you lose points. <laughs> what happened to you last time? Uh, well, no, no. Wasn't it last time we just we just read the quiz against you and then and then live and then live took points off you because you mixed up um, Charlotte Bronte and Jane Austen. I don't want to talk about that. Oh well, that's that's, that's yeah, that's pretty bad. Well, Mark, I'd like to say that given the wonderful books we've recommended and talked about today that we all want to read now, I think we're all winners. Oh, well, <laughs> that's such a sweet sentiment to end on. Thank yeah, you for making things coming so Coming from the loser. <laughs> that's, that's lovely. Thank you, Scott. And uh, thank you um, to all of you for joining me today. And thank you to everybody who listened um, and tuned in. Weekend Booktopian is produced by Nick Wasiliev, and you can find links to the books we've discussed today in the episode description, or you can find them at booktopia.com.au. You can listen to all of our shows for free on SoundCloud and iTunes, including our recent interviews with Turia Pitt and Christopher Paolini. Until next time, thank you for listening and never stop reading. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.